Jason here, another Saturday morning episode of Zion ID. Uh, Today's topic is social unrest. There's certainly a lot to ID today. Uh, This week I read an economist, James Rickards, declare that economic models of the past are now irrelevant. The only economic model that matters today is that the contagion of COVID-19 will soon turn into financial contagion of debt defaults and runs on the banks, which will increase social unrest around the planet. Anytime you hear that word social unrest, your ears perk up and start to worry because um, any sort of collapse of social norms um, brings a whole new, um, whole new element um, to this pandemic crisis. According to Johns Hopkins, there are now 2.2 million diagnosed cases of COVID-19 around the world and a stunning 156,000 deaths. I think in the United States, we're up to about 35,000. The first death hit, I think, the last day of February, and so it's been about a month and a half, and that is quite a trajectory for a month and a half. Another 5.2 million people filed for unemployment claims in the United States this week, which brings us to a four-week total of 22 million or about 13.5% of the entire labor force. Um, We're seeing long lines at food banks, and we're even starting to see protests in certain states as those who have been shut in begin to rage and cry out that it's time to reopen uh, the economy. Early this morning in Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong police arrested 15 pro-democracy movement activists, including media tycoon Jimmy Lachi Ying. Um, The pretext for this arrest was their involvement in last year's pro-democracy protests. And this is just another evidence of the massive cover-up the massive propaganda, all of the lies that have been coming out of China uh, since this crisis began. If you think your country is alone in uh, inept, inefficient handling of the crisis, you would be wrong because search around the world And I think you can identify government weakness in handling this situation in a multitude of countries. Um, Let's talk about the governor of Washington. His name is Jay Inslee, and he issued a series of tweets that I think also illustrate, um, (laughs) you know, There's a great saying that in hockey, you don't skate to where the puck is. You skate to where the puck is headed. And I think it's important in this crisis right now to be prepared for a future that could possibly include social unrest. So as we talk about Jay Inslee's comments um, from yesterday, I think it may illustrate where we're headed. Here's what he said. 
In fact, let me pull it up on my phone because then I can grab some of the uh, some of the comments um, that also illustrate the unrest. Governor said, the president's statements this morning encourage illegal and dangerous acts. He is putting millions of people in danger of contracting COVID-19. His unhinged rantings and calls for people to liberate states could also lead to violence. We've seen it before. The president is fomenting domestic rebellion and spreading lies, even while his own administration says the virus is real. It is deadly, and we have a long way to go before restrictions can be lifted. Yesterday, the president told the nation science would guide his plan for easing restrictions. The White House released a sensible plan to resume economic activity. 24 hours later, he is off the rails, ignoring his own plan and spewing dangerous anti-democratic rhetoric. The president's actions threaten his own goal of recovery. His words will likely cause a spike in infections where distancing is working. That will further postpone the 14 days of decline his own guidance says is necessary to ease restrictions. We do appreciate our continued relationship with the Vice President, Dr. Burks, Admiral Polonsky, Admiral Gurr, and others, but their work is undermined by the President's irresponsible actions. I hope someday we can look at today's meltdown as something to be pitied rather than condemned. But we don't have that luxury today. There's too much at stake. I encourage political leaders to speak out firmly against the president's calls for rebellion. Americans need to work together to protect each other. That's what is working in Washington. Speaking of Washington State. And it's the only way to slow the spread of this virus and get us on the road to recovery. A few of the comments after Governor Inslee's tweets. Um, somebody said, compare Inslee and Cuomo to Trump and DeSantis. It's like they are different species. Uh, somebody else said, uh, threaten the governor. He said, Washington will open without your permission. Step aside. Another person says there should be an organized call from the Democrats that hashtag Trump resign. Trump is calling for insurrection against states controlled by political opponents in the middle of a national emergency that he declared. Somebody else says, I cannot wait to vote you out, Inslee. Voting all red from now on. Hashtag Trump 2020. And of course, you can imagine it goes on and on. The last one. Here, Governor, the protests are coming to your doorstep next. Seattle Olympia don't speak for the rest of the state, and widespread civil disobedience is already happening. Go look outside. Two weeks from now, when it's 70 degrees outside, your order is ending one way or another, guaranteed. Okay, so... um You know, we did a podcast last year during the impeachment process talking about some of the old prophecies that discussed civil war in the last days and the tensions that existed during impeachment, I think, have even been heightened during uh, this pandemic. And you do worry about where things might be headed. 
Um, let's talk about Mikhail Gorbachev. He made some excellent comments this week. Um, he said, when the pandemic is over, the world must come together. I recall how in the mid-1980s we addressed the nuclear threat. The breakthrough came when we understood that it is our common enemy, a threat to all of us. The leaders of the Soviet Union and the United States declared that a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Then came Reykjavik and the first treaties eliminating nuclear weapons. But even though by now 85% of those arsenals have been destroyed, the threat is still there. Yet other global challenges remain and have even become more urgent. Poverty and inequality. And here Gorbachev goes into something very similar that Jeffrey R. Holland said in, in our most recent general conference. Uh, Gorbachev continues. Let's see where are we at. Uh, yeah, so other global challenges remain and even become more urgent. Poverty and inequality, the degradation of the environment, the depletion of the earth and the oceans, the migration crisis, and now a grim reminder of another threat, diseases and epidemics that in a global, interconnected world can spread with unprecedented speed. Is it not clear by now that wars and the arms race cannot solve today's global problems? War is a sign of defeat, a failure of politics. The overriding goal must be human security, providing food, water, and a clean environment, and caring for people's health. To achieve it, we need to develop strategies, make preparations, plan and create reserves. But all efforts will fail if governments continue to waste money by fueling the arms race. I'll never tire of repeating, we need to demilitarize uh, de world affairs, international politics, and political thinking. Closed quote. Um, the United States this week made the first steps towards accusing China um, of hiding the outbreak of the virus from the Wuhan um, viral, uh, what's the word, virology lab. If this continues to escalate, it could lead to a military war as China is accused of spreading this virus um, to the world. So at every step of this pandemic, uh, you want to ask yourself, what's going on here? Are things getting worse or are they getting better? And the trend appears to be worsening as desperation sets in among many of those who have failed to heed the words of the prophets. Um, for decades, the prophets have preached, you know, even for centuries, the prophets have preached temporal and spiritual principles of preparedness. Um, I did a little search on preparation on the Church of Jesus Christ's website. And it was pretty interesting that the first talk that showed up was actually from 2005. Um, not from 2020, not from last year, 2019, but it was a talk from Russell M. Nelson from back in 2005, titled, Now is the Time to Prepare. 
Um, here's a few excerpts. He said, trials and tests apply to rich and poor alike. Years ago, I was asked to perform an operation upon a very wealthy man. A surgical biopsy confirmed that he had an advanced cancer that had spread throughout his body. As I reported this news, his immediate response was to rely upon his wealth. He would go anywhere or do anything to treat his condition. He thought he could buy his way back to health, but he soon passed away. Someone asked, how much wealth did he leave? The answer, of course, was all of it. His priorities were set upon things of the world. His ladder of success had been leaning against the wrong wall. I think of him when I read this scripture. Behold, your days of probation are past. Ye have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is too late. Some people live as if there were no day of reckoning. Others waste today's time with a dis disabling fear of tomorrow or a paralyzing preoccupation over mistakes of yesterday. Because of frequent and frightening calamities in the world, some people doubt the existence of God. But in fact, he is trying to help us. He revealed these words. How oft have I called upon you by the mouth of my servants and by the ministering of angels and by mine own voice and by the voice of thunderings and tempests, earthquakes, great hailstorms, famines and pestilences of every kind and would have saved you with an everlasting salvation, but ye would not. Um, the second talk that came up in the search on the Church of Jesus Christ uh, org website came from another member of our current first presidency, Dallin H. Oaks. His talk was given back in 2004. He mentioned desolating sickness in that talk. Elder Oaks said, Four matters are indisputable to Latter-day Saints. Number one, the Savior will return to the earth in power and great glory to reign personally during the millennium of righteousness and peace. Number two, at the time of his coming, there will be a destruction of the wicked and a resurrection of the righteous. Number three, no one knows the timing of his coming. But number four, the faithful are taught to study the signs of it and to be prepared for it. I wish to speak about the fourth of these great realities, the signs of the second coming, and what we should do to prepare for it. Biblical and modern prophecies give many signs of the second coming. These include, number one, the fullness of the gospel restored and preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. Number two, false Christs and false prophets deceiving many. Number three, wars and rumors of wars with nation rising against nation. Number four, earthquakes in diverse places. Number five, famine and pestilence. Number six, an overflowing scourge, a desolating sickness covering the land. Number seven, iniquity abounding. Number eight, the whole earth is in commotion. Number nine, men's hearts failing them. While we are powerless to alter the fact of the second coming and unable to know its exact time, we can accelerate our own preparation and try to influence the preparation of those around us. A parable that contains an important and challenging teaching on this subject is the parable of the ten virgin, virgins. 
of this parable, the Lord said, And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled which I spake concerning the ten virgins. Given in the 25th chapter of Matthew, this parable contrasts the circumstances of the five foolish and the five wise virgins. All ten were invited to the wedding feast, but only half of them were prepared with oil in their lamps when the bridegroom came. The five who were prepared went into the marriage feast and the door was shut. The five who had delayed their preparations came late. The door had been closed and the Lord denied them entrance, saying, I know you not. Watch, therefore, the Savior concluded, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The arithmetic of this parable is chilling. The ten virgins obviously represent members of Christ's church, for all were invited to the wedding feast and all knew what was required to be admitted when the bridegroom came. But only half were ready when he came. We need to make both temporal and spiritual preparation for the events prophesied at the time of the second coming. And the preparation most likely to be neglected is the one less visible and more difficult, which is the spiritual. A 72-hour kit of temporal supplies may prove valuable for earthly challenges, but as the foolish virgins learned to their sorrow, a 24-hour kit of spiritual preparation is of greater and more enduring value. The men and women who made epic sacrifices to combat evil regime, regimes in the past were shaped by values that are disappearing from our public teaching. The good, the true, and the beautiful are being replaced by the no good, the whatever, and the valueless fodder of personal whim. Not surprisingly, many of our youth and adults are caught up in pornography pagan piercing of the body parts, self-serving pleasure pursuits, dishonest behavior, revealing attire, foul language, and degrading sexual indulgence. An increasing number of opinion leaders and followers deny the existence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and revere only the gods of secularism. Many in positions of power and influence deny the right and wrong defined by divine decree. Even among those who profess to believe in right and wrong, there are them that call evil good and good evil. According to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Many also deny individual responsibility and practice dependence on others seeking, like the foolish virgins, to live on borrowed substance and borrowed light. All of this is grievous in the sight of our Heavenly Father, who loves all of His children and forbids every practice that keeps any from returning to His presence. What might ultimate social unrest look like? I quote from um, W. Cleon Skousen in his book, The Cleansing of America, page 14. He quotes a vision that President John Taylor had uh, back in the late 1800s. I had been reading the revelations in the French language, he said. My mind was calm more so than usual. It seemed as though I was lifted out of myself. I was immediately in Salt Lake City, wandering about the streets. 
On the door of every house, I found a badge of mourning. I then looked in all directions over the territory, east, west, north, and south, and I found the same mourning in every place throughout the land. It seemed as though I was above the earth, looking down on it, so I passed along on my way east, and I saw the roads full of people, principally women, with just what they could carry in bundles on their backs, traveling to the mountains on foot. It did not seem as though the railroad cars were running. The rails looked rusty and the road abandoned. The next place I saw was Washington, and I found the city a desolation, the White House empty, the halls of Congress the same, everything in ruins. The people seemed to have fled the city and left it to take care of itself. I was next in the city of Baltimore and in the square where the monument of the War of 1812 stands in front of St. Charles and other hotels. I saw their dead piled up so high as to fill the square. The waters of the Chesapeake Bay and of the city were so stagnant and such a stench arose from them on account of the um, putrefying of dead bodies that the very smell caused death. Again, I saw no men except they were dead, lying in the streets, and very few women. It was horrible, beyond description, to look at. In Philadelphia, everything was still. No living soul was to be seen to greet me, and it seemed as though the whole city was without an inhabitant. Everywhere I went, the putrefying of the dead bodies caused such a stench that it was impossible for any creature to exist alive nor did I see any living thing in the city. Following this, I was shown New York City in total ruin. It was given me to understand that the same horror was being enacted all over the country, north, south, east, and west, that few were left alive. Still, there were some. Um, look, I, you don't want to be a fear monger, but yet you want to be a realist. And the good news is that after this collapse or after this cleansing period of desolating sickness, um, uh, this ushers in the greatest period in Earth's history, a period known as the millennium, a period of time when the waste cities are rebuilt, a period of time where the people are obedient to God's commandments and they're blessed and they thrive. Those things are coming to us. Unfortunately, before we can get there, we have to go through a painful reset. Um, so as we wrap up this episode of social unrest, hopefully we can repent as a nation. Hopefully we can invoke the national blessings of the Almighty as we strive to overcome this challenge of COVID-19. This will only happen with intelligence, with cooperation, with unity. And there certainly have been a lot of pockets of these kinds of fruits. Um, although it's troubling to note that we're seeing chinks in the armor as men, political leaders, jockey for power and self-interest rather than for the common good. May God be with all of us.